Hey, coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch, we're going to be talking about EMDR, or Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing, with a special guest, Laura Abraham. Laura is a licensed clinical social worker and just happens to be an old high school classmate of mine. According to the EMDR Institute, EMDR is a type of therapy that enables people to heal from the symptoms and emotional distress that are the result of any kind of disturbing life experiences. And repeated studies show that by using EMDR therapy, people can experience the benefits of therapy that once took years to make a difference. So we're going to cover that and a whole lot more coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch. Hey, everybody, I'll make this one quick. Now, as a therapist myself, of course, I recommend that everybody give therapy a try. Truly, we're all hanging on to some things that would be helpful to process, or there's things in our life that we might, uh, maybe we thought we'd achieve by now, or there's things that we desperately want to achieve so that we won't live a life full of regrets. Or there are people listening right now who may be noticing that their anxiety or their depression is getting a tiny bit more, let's call it amplified, the longer that it's left untreated. You owe it to yourself or those around you, to your spouse, your kids, and actually, I guess, really the most important person is you to at the very least give therapy a try. So if you're nervous about finding the right fit, if you're worried about bumping into somebody in a therapy waiting room, if you have any worries about therapy, might I recommend that you go immediately to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, all one word, and take a look at the world of online therapy. Go check out what over 500,000 people have already done before you and uh, sign up right now. Go to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. You'll get the help that you need. You'll get 10% off your first month services. They have a broad range of expertise in their counselor network work, which might not be locally available in many areas. The service is available wherever you live. It's worldwide, and you can log into your account at any time and send a message to your counselor. You can get a timely and thoughtful response, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, so you don't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy, although I maintain that my waiting room is very nice and comfortable. BetterHelp.com will assess your needs, match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and they have therapists that, that specialize in everything, all kinds of things, OCD, anxiety, depression. They use modalities such as acceptance and commitment therapy, my favorite, and you can start communicating typically in under 24 hours. They're committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Nothing awkward about that whatsoever. So uh, if you do go through betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, again, you'll receive 10% off your first month services. So what are you waiting for? You owe it to yourself and at the very least, just go check it out. Go ahead, pause the podcast right now. Go do it. I'm not going anywhere. Um, now let's get to the show. episode 186 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, as a father for ultra marathon runner, and co-author of the best-selling book, He's a Porn Addict. Now what? An expert and a former addict to answer your questions, in which I play the role of the expert and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography recovery program that has been completely revamped, relaunched, and it's helping people reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of pornography. If you or anybody that you know is struggling to put pornography behind them once and for all, and trust me, 
It can be done in a strength-based hold to shame, become the person you always knew you could be way, then please head over to pathbackrecovery.com and there you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to get rid of pornography once and for all. Again, that is pathbackrecovery.com and please stop by the virtual couch on Instagram and you can always find the virtual couch page on Facebook as well as Tony Overbay, licensed marriage and family therapist. And then if you go to tonyoverbay.com and sign up for the email newsletter, um, getting to be a little bit more regular with content. And I will also give you, show you how you can get a special fireside talk that I did in Salt Lake City a few weeks ago called Hang In There. You're doing better than you think. So that is if you sign up for the newsletter. And I just want to take a minute and read another review that came in. I really appreciate the reviews. And this is just a little reminder that if you have enjoyed any of the virtual couch um, content, if you have a second, please head over to wherever you get your podcast. The reviews that I'm reading, they're really easy to read off of the Apple Podcast app or iTunes. But if you take a second and rate and review and subscribe and all that wonderful stuff, it uh, it would mean the world. So this one says, real findings to apply today by uh, D-O-B-E-S-W-F. And it says, I first heard Tony on my other favorite podcast, 3 and 30, which, by the way, is a wonderful podcast by Rachel Nielsen. It was one of the most treasured episodes called How to Praise Your Child When You Can't Find Anything to Praise. She says, I had that child and I knew it wasn't her. It was me, but I didn't know how to see her with new eyes. Tony goes more in depth on episode 167 about the nurtured heart approach. I have also had questions as a mother. How do I help my kids develop and have healthy self-esteem? This seems to be the answer. This is one of the only, only one of the many nuggets of truth I've gathered from Tony's podcast. Thank you, Tony. No, no. Thank you for taking the time to write. Okay. Let's get on to today's episode. This one has been long in the making. The topic for today is called EMDR, and that stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. So, a quick, quick story that kind of leads up to this. When I was doing my internship, the place that I worked would not let therapists there uh, that worked there use this technique, this EMDR technique. And it wasn't that it was a horrific thing that no one was ever allowed to talk about. It was because at the time, I didn't even realize, because this was 15 plus years ago, it was still pretty new. And the research was still coming out on a pretty regular basis. Basis. And at least I, that's part of what I was assuming from the conversations that were had about EMDR during our group supervision meetings. Uh, group supervision is a time where all the therapists at my facility would get together and you discuss in general terms cases that we may have needed help with. So there were times where there were a couple of therapists that had been trained in EMDR and they were just kind of working part time at this place that I was uh, doing my internship. And they would bring up this is a time where I would typically like to use EMDR, but I know that we can't do that at the facility. And so I I've always been aware of EMDR, and, and I've actually had a couple of clients that uh, that are therapists who have talked about using EMDR in their in their um, practices. And so, again, always been pretty aware of it. And then I was doing betrayal trauma training. I took a course by Dr. Kevin Skinner of Addo Recovery that absolutely changed the direction of my career there as well. And and Dr. Skinner would talk about when people had this severe trauma, complex trauma, how EMDR could be really helpful in, uh, in helping people overcome and heal from trauma. So again, talking about EMDR. And one of my favorite books, truly life-changing, called The Body Keeps the Score by uh, Bessel van der Kolk. Um, and if you have ever been through any type of trauma at all, or you have someone in your life that has been through trauma, and we're not just talking about um, PTSD from the war kind of trauma, or it doesn't have to be a horrific 
uh, accident, but even just the extended trauma, relationship trauma, the body keeps the score is just amazing. It really, especially if you want to just learn again how how the brain works, and and I want to do an episode on that. But it, there's so much data there that I think that's one of those that I know I need to do probably a two or three part episode on. But in that book, uh, and again, um, Dr. Vanderkolk breaks down traumas of all sorts: childhood trauma, war accidents, single incident related trauma, to complex long exposure type trauma. Um, he's a huge proponent of EMDR. And when I was kind of Googling that to make sure that I had my, my facts straight, I found this quote from a New York Times Magazine article called A Revolutionary Approach to Treating PTSD, where Dr. Vander Kolk was interviewed. And from the article, uh, he said, for patients with acute PTSD from isolated traumatic memories, think car accidents or single episode assaults, Vander Kolk is a fan of eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, or EMDR, in which a therapist wiggles fingers back and forth across the patient's field of vision, and the patient tracks the fingers while holding in mind the traumatic memory. Proponents say the technique enables patients to process their traumas so that they pass into memories and stop invading the present. And let me just kind of jump out of the interview here. Um, you'll hear from my guest today, Laura Abraham, that uh, the finger back and forth or tapping or those sort of things is only, it's one way to do EMDR. Um, there are a lot of other ways to do it. And she talks about some of that as well. But um, Dr. Vanderkolk likes to point out that he came to the technique as a skeptic. So I thought that was pretty fascinating. He said, it's this weird treatment. He said, you ask people to remember what happened to them and you wiggle your finger in front of their eyes and have them follow it. Crazy. More than 60,000 therapists around the world have now been certified in EMDR, though the practice remains controversial, with critics and supporters debating the validity of each new study. Vanderkolk places his faith in what he sees in his own patients. He says, for them, EMDR has been a godsend. And I will point out, I think that the book, The Body Keeps the Score, was either uh, released in 2014 or 2016. So, I mean, that's a long time in the field of research when it comes to things like EMDR. So, last summer, I found myself back in Salt Lake City for my my 30th high school reunion, or actually that was, holy cow, that was two summers ago. Um, time flies when you're having fun, I guess. But I ran into a high school friend of mine named Laura Abraham, who had also gone on to become a therapist. Uh, she, I mean, she's actually a licensed clinical social worker or LCSW, but we can both do therapy. Um, we just take slightly different paths in school. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's a licensed clinical social worker. Anyway, uh, Laura shared with me that she did a lot of EMDR work in her practice, and I knew that I needed to get her on the podcast because Laura has always been really smart and engaging and I knew that she would put things in a very understandable way and she absolutely does. So I guess the the phrase life gets in the way sort of happened and so here we are a mere year and a half later but Laura does do an incredible job laying out the history of EMDR, how it works, uh, how it helps one process and move incredibly traumatic events from the amygdala or the fight, flight, or freeze area of the brain into the prefrontal cortex or the more rational, uh, logical thinking part of the brain. And trust me, she shares so much more about the way that the brain handles trauma, how it manifests as anxiety and other, and, and other symptoms, and uh, what you can do about it to truly begin to heal. And there is a YouTube video of this interview, so if you find the Virtual Couch YouTube channel, and I guess we will call this special bonus content, which means embarrassing footage that I cut out of the audio version, uh, content where I related a high school story that about halfway through, I realized that it's not Laura that I'm talking about. It is uh, a friend named Jenny Wood. Shout out. Hi, Jenny. Um, and she graciously laughs along before pointing out that it is not her bless Laura's heart. I guess that's why she is a good clinician. Okay, so let's get to my interview with Laura Abraham and uh, learn more about EMDR.
So right. only one, the one thing that I, I thought about that we haven't even talked yeah. about was, do we talk about old high school stories at all? Oh my gosh. You were, you were such a dynamic, powerful person in high school. Thanks. Yeah. Real, so, fun <laughs> real fun times. Do you, do you, do you have, I mean, was that a good time for you just out of curiosity? It was a, it was a wonderful time for me. Yeah. I had an absolute blast. It was a I, lo- it was a lot of fun. I did too. And do you find yourself? Is it hard at times when you? I mean, I don't know if you work with many teenagers. Do you ever work with? I teenagers? do absolutely. Is it yeah. hard when you have teenagers that aren't having much of a fun time in their high school experience? Yeah, it is. It is. It's interesting, but they they wouldn't be seeing me probably if they were having a fun time. So a very fair point. You know, <laughs> those kids wouldn't come in. Um, all right. So so Laura, take us through a very quick rundown. Then we, you graduate as an Alta Hawk. You are. Yep. You graduate the same year, even though you look about ten years younger than me. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Tony. <laughs> and what did you do after that? So after after graduation, where'd you go? What'd you do? After graduation, I went to Utah State, um, studied psychology, got my BS in psychology there, and then went on to the University of Denver to get my master's in social work. Okay. And did you always know that you wanted to do psychology even in high school? I was so unaware. I mean, did you know that at the time? I I really did. Like deep down, even like in grade school, Mm -hmm. um, people would call me the psychologist. And, you know, it was sort of always been a part of me to be a helper. And, you know, the yard ladies would say, oh, go play. Or the teachers in elementary school, Laura, go play. Bring that child in who's like a new kid or whatever. So I was kind of always put in that role to sort of be the lover of all the people. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Well, you were and very approachable. It, it, I mean, suits, I can, it suited me. Yeah. Thank you. Um, you. You always seemed, I think we would uh, joke a little bit about you always seemed almost intimidating because you just seemed like you were, you were this older soul. Um, so I huh. think that, you know, it used to feel like we were trying to impress you. I don't know if you could tell at the time, but uh, no, no, I always, I don't, I don't feel like an old soul. I feel like a little baby <laughs> crawling around trying to figure <laughs> shit out <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then, uh, all right. Then, uh, Denver, university of Denver for university your- of Denver to get my master's in social work. So okay. I kind of, I, I thought I would become a psychologist, Okay, but, um, it was too much school. And that just, I didn't, I wasn't very studious and I was a lot more social and wanted to be having fun. Mm -hmm. And so it was an easier route for me to get my master's in social work and then eventually get my LCSW um, to be able to do the same thing that a psychologist can do. Right. And then uh, it does get you out there a little quicker. I remember the same thing. Yeah. Thinking, all right, let's go for it. Let's get the PhD. And then I I saw that that was what, three more years or or more. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I can a lot yeah. more school. Yeah. So and then, I'm not real heady like that. You know, psychologists are very diagnostic and mm-hmm. they use all the big words and I'm just kind of more, um, I was going to say in the gutter, I'm not in the gutter, <laughs> but just a little more casual, a little more okay. intuitive using more intuition and that kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, I like the way you say that, though, because I also feel that, I, and I've never put it in those terms of a, a clinical psychologist is more diagnostic, but that really is what what that's all about. And I wasn't, a, I mean, I feel like maybe this is a bad confession, but I wasn't a big fan of the parts of um, getting my master's where I had to do the diagnosis and I had to write, you know, uh, write up the very detailed clinical assessment and those sort of things. So I wasn't a big fan of that. Right. So, uh, you just made me feel better about my choice. Good. Absolutely. Yeah. So then your first job, where'd you go after, uh, after your getting your master's? My first job, I, uh, I was an intern at uh, Denver General Hospital, which is now Denver Health. Wow. And I worked in the, in the emergency department. 
So what does that look like for a therapist? I mean, I, I jumped right into like a nonprofit and then, and then private practice. What was that like in a hospital? Well, my, my degree is in social work. So I was, I was working as a social worker. Gotcha. And so my role was to support the junior resident for victims of rape who had come in, Mm. uh, people who were probably going to die or who had come in with a really traumatic injury, either a car accident, uh, pulmonary embolism, um, gunshot wound, stab wound. You know, Denver General was a charter for the Knife and Gun Club. So, you know, it was pretty intense. A lot of gang stuff. And um, so my role was to really be a bridge between the physician Uh and the family. So families would come in and I would be in the back right next to the table, watching the doctors and nurses doing their thing, trying to save the person's life. And Uh then I'd go back and, and meet with the family, put them in a special room and just talk to them about, you know, what do you know about this accident? No matter what it was, whether it was a gunshot wound or a car accident or an illness of some kind, like heart attack or, or stroke. And just kind of be a bridge. So then I would just toggle in, just kind of move between, move between the rooms, providing that support. So it's, what's fascinating now is, I I mean, that was that pretty heavy work for you were young at that time, right? Oh yeah. It was really intense. I I remember in grad school, I don't know if you were doing the same thing, you'd go to a family systems theory class and you'd do some nice role playing. And at the end, everybody needs therapy and everybody works, you know, happily ever after. I mean, did you feel like you were prepared for that kind of a environment? At that age? No, but okay. I was kind of thrown. The, the, the social work department at Denver Health was so strong. Okay. And I had so many people around me and so much support and guidance and mentors. Mm. And along with the, the technicians and the doctors and nurses that I worked with, that I just, you know, people talk a lot about, oh, I cut my teeth at this job or I really grew yeah. up. And, and that's really what happened. Okay. And I spent the next eight years there. Wow. And was, uh, you know, between the medical intensive care unit, the surgical ICU, general surgery, and still continuing to work in the emergency department on certain days to cover. And wow. if there was big stuff happening, like when we were rolling over into Y2K, oh, yeah. uh, I worked an overnight shift because they just didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, I would love to do a whole, I mean, give me, give me a minute on what that was like. I mean, do you remember when the clocks oh, yeah. at night, were you all waiting for everything to just go nuts? Or well, something? yeah, kind <laughs> of. And even, you know, when the Broncos were in the Super Bowl, we had extra coverage because the, when the Broncos lose, there is an increase in domestic violence. Wow. Okay. Which is just gross. Yeah, and it is. Anyway. Yeah. But so then from there, and, and again, I realize uh, now, I, I, you know, for the listening audience, I, I told Laura, I was like, I'll, I'll take a minute or two on your background. But now it's so fascinating because I want to get to the EMDR piece. So, yeah. um, all right, we will hold that for a, a future episode where I want to talk okay. about that sort of thing. So then you went from the hospital to Kaiser. I went, I went to the hospital, uh, from the hospital to Kaiser Permanente at an outpatient mm-hmm. clinic. Okay. And again, I was hired as a social worker to do sort of a combination of traditional social work stuff. So, you know, helping with uh, resources, community resources and that kind of a thing, along with doing brief intervention with people. Okay. So grief counseling, um, maybe helping with some anxiety or depression or uh, somebody comes in and they think that there's something physically wrong with them. And really, it's just an underlying anxiety. Different yeah. things like that. 
Okay. And you know, I think uh, this is, I'm, I'm taking for granted that uh, people may already know, but so you're an LCSW licensed clinical mm-hmm. social worker. I'm an LMFT licensed marriage and family therapist. Right. We, we can both sit in a room and do therapy, but you're trained more in, like you say, putting people in touch with services, going out in the community, really, really interacting with pe- the people, right? Yes. Okay. And, and so, and I, yeah, and I think that most people maybe wouldn't know that. So, so that's not just the traditional or, or sitting in a chair and, and saying, tell me more about that with the patches on the jacket or that sort of thing. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so are, uh, and so from there, um, doing more of the LCS or the, the social worker work. Social work and more of a therapy. Uh, therapy. It was a brief therapy. Okay. And so depending on physicians and how they sort of saw me or utilized me, you know, yeah. some would be all about the therapy, their therapeutic intervention. Others would just see me more as that case manager yeah. type okay. of a role. Yeah. I, I love that. I find myself at times wanting to do more of that case management as I'm working with clients. And, and I know that those are things that are a little outside of my scope and maybe I don't have the skills to do. Um, do you find that that case management background helps you when you're doing therapy as well? I think social work just in general has such a broad view yeah. of the person. You know, everything is, is viewed in systems and looking at the culture and sexual orientation and gender identity and yeah. um, just cultural ethnicity. You know, where do you come from? What part of Utah are you from? You know, yeah. what, what, uh, how did you grow up? All, what are the religious influence? All the stuff. Um, so I would say that it, social work has served me very well in this yeah. role. Yeah. And yeah. you're right. And because as a therapist, you, if you're just looking through your own lens, I mean, you're, you're not even going to understand where the client is coming from and that can yeah. be a way of therapy. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we're, you know, I was so excited. We ran into each other at the reunion yeah. Uh, what was it? Our 15 year, 10 year? Oh one? yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah. 15, <laughs> 30, oh, maybe or right? 30. I can't believe it. Are you 50 yet? <laughs> yeah. I just turned a little while ago. Are you happy? Yes. November. Oh, I was happy November birthday. as well. So, all right. November the 14th. One. Oh, you're way older than me. I'm the 24th. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh oh so, my gosh. Yes, okay. Each other at our, at our, Union, and then I find out that you are a uh, LCSW, and it was just like, Laura, you got to come on the podcast. And you were yeah. your initial reaction was super nervous. <laughs> I mean, it was it was yes, I would yeah. love to do that, but yeah, it was really it was really intimidating for me. Okay, which uh, is uh, you're so you again. I go back to you were always so confident that um, thank you, know, you. Yeah, yeah. So, but but you had mentioned that you do EMDR. And, and I want to just let my uh, listeners know, I mean, this is by the time this one airs, we're in the 180s of an episode. I've wanted to do an EMDR episode since probably in the teens. And, uh, and because, but I know, I really don't know anything about EMDR. And so this isn't even one where I, I joked with you beforehand. I did a little uh, Googling. I got a little Wikipedia info, which is a nightmare when someone comes in and tells me I've been Googling. Wikipedia says that OCD is this. So I'm going into this, uh, doing the thing that I don't enjoy doing. Um, but EMDR, I hear a lot about it and it's something that I think I was sharing with you that I hear so much about it that I, I've been looking recently at wanting to get EMDR certified as well. But where do we start with it? What is EMDR? And you kind of, you kind of drive now. Where do we go? Laura? Okay. EMDR, first of all, it stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Okay. There is an amazing woman named Francine Shapiro who discovered it. And 
and I, the, the way that I heard, heard, heard the story is that, um, she was thinking about some, some difficult things in her life and she was walking down, I don't know, a park or, uh, some space with trees on both sides of her. Oh. And as she was walking, she was looking to the left and looking to the right and looking to the left and looking to the right. And she realized that, gosh, moving my eyes like this, I'm starting to feel a little bit of relief about this uncomfortable thing that's going on in my life. Hmm. So she started to explore that a little bit more. And, and that is uh, really the inception of EMDR. Okay. So, as the therapist, we're creating a stimulus that crosses the median of the brain, okay? okay? So whether it's moving your eyes back and forth without moving your head or tapping on a person's legs or using little discs that vibrate back and forth, there's light bars, people sometimes use um, headphones that ring. Somehow it mimics REM sleep. Okay. So if you think about REM, like a person who doesn't sleep at all, say they're, they're a, um, one of those ultra runners and they're going to run a hundred miles and you know, they're up for hours and hours and hours. They're going to start to hallucinate a tiny bit. I maybe know what you're talking about. Sure. A little, have you, do you do that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that you were really. <laughs> oh yeah. I've done, I've done a, I've done about 50 of the ultra marathons. Uh, maybe oh my gosh. Regular. I thought, right. you were, I thought you were making fun of me, Laura. No, I am yeah. not. I had no idea. Okay. Or somebody, we'll talk about that later. Um, a person who's just not sleeping. You can't get to sleep, can't get to sleep. If we don't sleep and our bodies and brains don't have that time to unwind and make sense of our day while being in REM sleep, mm-hmm. we, we can become psychotic and have those psych, psych, symptoms of psychosis. And so somehow it is linked to REM sleep and um, it moves trauma. So all trauma is stored in the amygdala. Okay. Okay. The amygdala is this little teeny part of our brain, kind of down by the brainstem. And the function of that part of our brain is basically to keep us alive. It's the survival part of our brain. <clears throat> this is, this is that, where tra- is that reptilian part, the cave rep- all those? Okay. Yes, that's the part of the brain. This is where trauma is stored. Okay. If we don't fully process that trauma, we are going to end up experiencing symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. Yeah. When we experience a trauma, it um, the limbic system kicks in, right? So some event happens. Maybe we hear gunshot wound, uh, the sound of, of gunshot. Okay. Or we smell smoke or, uh, we're walking down the street and there's a dog that's running towards us barking. Oh, I know this one. Okay. Okay. Our body is automatically going to the limbic system kicks in. Uh, it makes our heartbeat really fast. Um, the heartbeat fat beats fast so that it can push blood to our extremities so that we can run or fight. Mm. We might feel extreme nausea. We might feel like we're going to have diarrhea or we're going to throw up. And that's our body saving energy. The, the digestive system completely stops. And that's our, our body's way of, of storing up energy again to keep us alive. Wow. Okay. So what happens is when a person has experienced a trauma, a traumatic event, 
we can start to experience that feeling of survival when there's nothing going on. There's no reason for us to feel to be in that survival mode, which is panic, right? It comes on without warning. There's some trigger that our brain picks up on and the cognitive part of our brain doesn't pick up on that. Okay. So I talked about the amygdala, which is back here down by the brainstem, the prefrontal cortex of the brain right here behind our forehead. Yeah. That's the cognitive or the thinking part of our brain. Okay. Okay. When we do EMDR, we're moving the trauma from the amygdala into the prefrontal cortex of the brain. Okay. So Bessel van der Kolk is, I don't know if he's a neuropsychiatrist, I believe, neuroscientist. I I love your going here because I have not done an episode on this yet either. Are you talking about the body keeps the score? Body keeps the score. Oh my goodness. Okay, go Laura. This is good. So he did brain scans of Vietnam veterans and victims of rape Hmm. to show how the trauma moves from the amygdala into the prefrontal cortex or the cognitive thinking part of our brain. Okay. So when that happens, so way back when people would come in, they'd experience a traumatic event. They, they come in to see you, Tony, and they'd talk to you about the event and, and they might feel a lot better by talking about it. And they're, you know, they're, they're, uh, with you. And then they leave the room, they go out and they're living their life, but they're still experiencing symptoms. Yeah. They never really get better. They never really feel better because that part of the brain doesn't speak. Okay. It doesn't talk. It's just a felt sense in our body. We just experience uh, that traumatic event, the, those feelings in our body. Yeah. Is that making sense? Boy, it does. It, it really does. And so, and then in that book, The Body Keeps the Score, and, and, I, and this is one of those things I think we were talking earlier about. I, I don't know if I really do know what I'm about to talk about here, but yeah. the powerful is, is then he talks about that visceral response, you know, and that the, uh, that your emotions are always going to lead ahead of your, um, the, the cognitive side. So is it, right. So, right? so, and, and it's designed, um, I literally one day opened the door of my office and there was a small snake on the ground. It was the craziest thing. And we looked down the client that was with me and it looked like a shoelace. And so, but you know, there was, and I always remember now then reading the body keeps a score. And I thought later about, I mean, there was a reaction, but it was, it was a snake actually. But I thought about the way that the emotions run the show is we, you jump back before you know if it's a shoelace or a snake and, and how Correct. do you know that? That's like incredible really. Right. So, so if your emotions are leading the way, your viscera, this visceral response, you know, you're, you're kind of, uh, fighting a pretty tough battle. If you have a lot of this, it sounds like a lot of this kind of baggage that's stored up in that amygdala. So if your emotions lead the way and then, and then it kicks in and says, Oh, okay, I know what this is. And then it kind of goes into overdrive. I mean, is that, I've always kind of assumed that's the way it works. Is that? Yeah, exactly. So we got to get it out of that amygdala or else, you know, I see the shoelace and all of a sudden I'm, I'm losing my mind because I, I don't even have a chance to say, Oh, it's a shoelace. It's not a snake. Right. Okay. Which is a really mild Example, right? Yeah, yes. So we can all we can all think about people who have have experienced war, or yeah. people who have experienced rape, or yeah. um, you know, childhood sexual abuse, or a car accident, or uh, yes, or first responders. Being, I work with some of those, and it's I mean, now every time they go to any call, it's immediately the worst case scenario. So, exactly. Okay, boy, that makes right? sense. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're saying then we, you, the EMDR is a way to move trauma or from the amygdala into the prefrontal cortex. So you can then cognitively process it. Correct. So then, okay. So an an example that just kind of popped into my mind is I worked with, uh, I've worked with, with several clients who, who have been raped. And so 15 year old comes in, has, has been sexually assaulted by, um, a classmate and cognitively she knew she didn't do anything wrong. She really felt like, you know what? I said, no, I kept telling him, I don't want to do this. And he just kept forcing himself onto me. Yeah. Internally in her heart, she felt like, well, maybe it was my fault. Maybe I shouldn't have done. Maybe, you know, we shouldn't have gone to that house. I shouldn't have gone in that room with him. I shouldn't have been kissing him in the first place. That was wrong. When really it wasn't. It would be okay for her as a 15-year-old to kiss another person. Yeah. And so what happens with EMDR is it sort of aligns that belief that we have cognitively with the feeling that we have internally. Okay. So by the end, she can say, I didn't do anything wrong. This was not my fault. And she believes that. Wow. This, I didn't do anything wrong. This was not my fault. And, and it lines up beautifully. And it's just really amazing to see I, that happen. I have to throw um, a, a kind of a plug for we're recording video on here. And, and I would love to put this up on the YouTube channel because it would be amazing to watch you. Do, you. do you typically use your hands a lot? I mean, I love how you're going to your brain. You know? Oh, yeah. Part and kind of talking about those in line. Um, is that, yeah. okay. Is that, is that something that you, you kind of learned in that training or is that just you feeling that moment or, or is that just kind of that passion from you? Part of it I think is, is, is feeling that moment. And uh, there's a real energetic exchange between uh, the therapist and the client. Okay. And I, I did my training with Barb Mayberger at the Mayberger Institute, and she's okay. all over the place. And that's where okay. I would encourage you to, to go or okay. any Amdria certified uh, EMDR accredited thing. Amdria. Okay. Amdria. Okay. Amdria. Okay. So anyway, Barb Mayberger and Arielle Schwartz uh, have done somatic EMDR. And so they incorporate so much of the body into the work that um, my practice has just really become more body centered and more focused on the somatic piece. Because oftentimes when we're, when I'm in a session with somebody, they don't um, sometimes they don't know what they don't have the words for it. Okay. And I will always go to the body. I'll say, what are you noticing in your body? I'm Mm -hmm. constantly saying, tell me, what are you noticing in your body? Oh, I'm feeling, I'm feeling this, this tension in my neck and in my shoulders, or I'm feeling, I'm feeling something in my chest or it's in my stomach or my legs, or I'm feeling really tight in my hands. And we, I lead with that. I'll say, okay, just go with that. Focus on that feeling and images will come up and it just helps us move through the process yeah. Because there's a lot of getting stuck in yeah. this because it's so painful to really look at uh, the things that we've been through. And, and do you feel like that's, I, I know when I became a therapist and I wasn't quite sure 
I wasn't very confident in some of my skills or the modality in the moment. Um, I I would kind of still go back to the, it it is good to process um, because I typically tell clients that if they just hang on to things in their, in their brain, that that doesn't typically resolve into the, and we lived happily ever after story. Right. So, but it sounds like yours is even, even more. I mean, there's more there because, because I like how you said earlier, I can process something with someone and I think they feel good in the moment. And I, and I often hear this, man, I feel good for a couple of days after. And then yeah. at some point I'm kind of right back into the, the feels or the feelings. Exactly. Okay. So, so what is the EMDR process like for a client? What, what are they seeing? What are they feeling or what are they doing? Well, we start out with um, really doing an inventory of trauma. Okay. All trauma is seen through the lens of our very first trauma. Oh. Okay. Okay. So um, it's really important to clear all of those past traumas before working on what they came in to work on. Uh-huh. Um, because everything is just kind of linked. You yeah. can sort of look at it like uh, um, an octopus. You know, it's got the head here and mm-hmm. it's got all these tentacles. Everything seems to be quite connected in the brain. And so... Is that really? Oh, is that? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Is it hard to then, if somebody comes in and they want to process like a car accident or or a rape or a, you know, you have to kind of go back? Are you saying you have to kind of go back and figure out? All right, what's your what your trauma lens look like, or what does trauma mean to you, or is that what you're saying? You have to kind of take it back a little further. Yes, absolutely. And I will, um, you know, if they say, "Oh no, there there really isn't anything. There's nothing." Uh, we do what's called a float back where you set up the trauma and I would say to you, uh, okay, Tony, tell me what's the worst image or picture of the car accident. Mm. And you say, oh, it was the glass, the the sound that I heard. Um, what emotion come when you think of that picture and really see the glass or hear the sound of the glass, what emotions do you feel? What negative belief do you have about that? Okay. Um, what do you, what do you want to believe about it now? Um, where do you feel it in your body? All yeah. that stuff. And then I ask them to put all of that together and float that back to the earliest time they ever, mm. ever remember feeling that way. There you go. Okay. And sometimes it just, it something just pops up. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. That does. It's, it, could, it's, it could be anything. Yeah. It could right. be anything. Yeah. Um, it could hearing, be anything. Hearing parents argue or... Um, I mean, yeah, any, I mean, it can be anything. It really could. Right. Wow. Okay. No, I like that. Um, so that's where we start. Okay. So uh, this is not something that I, I prepped you for, but so do you feel like a lot of that, or what are your thoughts on even repressed memories? I mean, I I will have people come in and tell me, you know, and if I'm not, and I'm not doing EMDR obviously, but if I'm Mm -hmm. saying, Hey, has this ever happened before? Or tell me about your childhood or your past. And they're like, no, it's idyllic. You know, there's nothing wrong there at all. Um, do you feel like from your experience then by doing these float backs that there, there are more repressed memories than we probably think or are aware of, or is that, I don't know, individual. I, I would want, I would want to hear more about what you think about of, uh, as a repressed memory. Are you mm-hmm. thinking about, Oh, maybe I was abused by somebody. That's or the ones maybe I this... hear often. Yeah. No, okay. I don't go there. 
That is not, that is not what we're doing. That's, that's not what EMDR does. I'm so glad you're saying, I feel like a lot of people that is, I hear oftentimes that's what might maybe even keeps people away from therapy is, you know, they've seen a a bad movie where the person's like, you know, dig deeper. You're not telling me the truth. And all of a sudden or something. And I mean, it makes for great TV, but that's not the norm. Right. I'm always going to believe what a person tells me. Perfect. And we're, we're constantly measuring with the suds. So, What's you sense? know, it's, um, oh my gosh, scale. It's like a scale of disturbance. Oh, okay. So zero tool I, around the way. Okay. Yes. So zero is no disturbance or neutral and 10 is the highest disturbance you can imagine. Okay. And so when we're, when I'm working with somebody and they're, let's say they report, uh, between a seven and an eight of a disturbance. So that's a pretty strong, that's a pretty high disturbance. Okay. And they just continue like week after week, we're not making any progress. Mm. That tells me that some, something's going on. Gotcha. That makes sense. So there's maybe more there. There's more there. Okay. And more than likely it's, uh, it's the belief that they have about it, uh, that they don't want to let go of. And then we'll take some time to kind of move through that and, and figure out what is getting us hung up. Uh-huh. Okay. I took, and I, uh, I apologize. I took you off the path there a little bit. It was so good. No, that's okay. Yeah. So, so the person comes in and we're kind of talking about the trauma. We do the float back. When does the, uh, when does the, you know, the, the trees on both sides of the lanes, when does the tapping or the, or the pulses or when does that come into play? And what's that like? So that again, we'll, we'll, so let's say we float back to parents arguing. You had said okay. that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, parents absolutely. arguing. So we set it up again. All right. The target, we're going to call it parents arguing. And what's the worst image? What's the negative belief do you have about yourself? What emotions do you feel? Where do you feel it in your body? How disturbing does it feel? And then I have them imagine that there is a TV in front of you or you're sitting in a movie theater or maybe you're on a train and you're just going to watch images go by. Okay. You're going to sort of re-watch this movie of your past. Mm. And I will have them really feel that in their body, right? So I have them just bring up all the stuff, the negative belief, the negative cognition, um, where they feel it in their body. And I'll start. I'll say, okay, we're going to, we'll start. And I'll just go maybe for eight to 15 seconds. Hmm. And I'll stop the sensors. And, uh, what, and what are the sensors, by the way? So these are things they're just two little discs that they're yeah, holding. Yeah. They vibrate back and forth. Perfect. That's what I mostly use. Okay, that's and, and I've, I've done I've, other I've, things, but I've watched a couple of people do it, and that's the ones I've seen. And what, I don't know, theratappers or whatever they're called, or or is that people call like them that? tappers, sensors, buzzers? Okay, but the they, but they basically are are they're just doing a a, a, a little impulse. Um, it just vibrates. Vibrates. Okay. Perfect. Back and forth. Okay. Back and forth. That's it. Yeah. <clears throat> because again, we're wanting to create a stimulus that crosses the center of the brain. Okay. That's what, oh. that's all that's doing. Okay. So they're okay. doing that and you're kind of, even if it might be like you say eight to 15 seconds of, of really processing the, the traumatic moment or this movie or TV show. That's they're watching this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then I'll stop and I'll say, what are you noticing? And I ask them to give me a headline. I just want the headline because the more they talk, the more they're in this part of their brain. Okay. 
I don't want them in this part of their brain when we're processing. I want okay, them back for, here. Uh, I would say for people listening that you don't want them at that point in that prefrontal cortex. You want them getting back into that, uh, the, uh, the, the amygdala. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Because you want them to be in the feels at that point. Absolutely. Okay. I want them to be all in it. Okay. And I will continue to go to the worst place. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So I'll have them. Okay. Now we're going to go back to the beginning and I might go uh, a couple more seconds. I probably never would go longer than maybe two minutes. Okay. You know, it's going to be really brief, just little moments. Cause I want to be checking in with them. I'm going to be watching for ab reaction. You know, how emotional are they getting? Okay. And I'm going to be supporting them because they're going to have one foot in my office and one foot in the past. Wow. And I want to make sure that they're always right there with me, that they're not dissociating because that's going to be something that I'm always going to be looking for. Okay. You're doing a beautiful job of laying this out, Laura. I mean, even as a therapist who I've admitted, I don't know a lot about it. I hear about it often and this makes so much sense. Okay. I mean, and Good. again, I think that people just hearing about EMDR in a 10 second blurb or, or looking at it on Wikipedia are thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to dig in there. And for 45 minutes, I'm going to be in this and this pain cave. And then all of a sudden they're going to, you know, all right, you're done. You know, we'll yeah. see you next week. Okay. okay. Not at all. Yeah. So We're, this sounds very processing and strength-based at the same time. Absolutely. And before we even start with that, uh, we're, I'm going to be doing a lot of evaluating and making sure that they are able to go back and come out of it and not come out of it. Cause it's, it's not hypnosis or anything. You're, yeah. you're aware and awake and you're, totally right there. But I'm going to be doing a lot of resource building. And um, one of the things that I was taught at the Mayberger Institute is, is to always take the time and be sure that your client is zipped up or sealed up. Okay. Because essentially it's kind of like we're operating, right? We're opening up your heart and your mind and body and really looking at some of the most painful things of our life. Yeah. And when that hour is over, I need to be sure that they're sealed up, zipped up and re- feeling good and ready to go back to work or pick up their kids or whatever they have to do for the rest of the day. Yeah. And just uh, anybody listening to this, I mean, just to think about trauma that you've been carrying, it could have been for your entire life, decades worth of, of things that you've been afraid Absolutely. to talk about that have, that have led to these triggers that have kept you from doing things that you always wanted to do. And then how... I don't know. What are some of the, the things you hear, the experiences you have when people really dig in there and this, and this works? I mean, what is that like? What, what do you hear? It's just remarkable. Yeah. I mean, uh, I always go in telling people that this isn't, uh, this isn't magic. It's not a silver bullet. Uh, you don't need to believe in it to work or not work. Mm-hmm. We are just going to continue to stay curious about the process the whole way. I never guarantee that we're going to just, you're just going to feel better. Okay. Um, but off the record, I feel yeah. very strongly. I, they are going to feel better just yeah. by doing, you know what I mean? Like yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it just, I believe that they, they are going to, um, but I don't need to believe for them to, yeah. that it's going to work or for, and they don't need to believe it. It's, it's this idea of staying curious about the process and continuing to just kind of plug away and see what's in our, what are the barriers? What are the blocks? What's coming up? And just to continue to press on and move forward. Yeah. And um, when people are able to do that, it is absolutely uh, 
remarkable. I mean, it, it keeps me doing the work yeah, and it keeps me rejuvenated. And, um, it's one of the greatest gifts to be, uh, present for somebody's ability to let go of something they've been holding on to. Sure. Uh, it's just, it's just, or to feel, uh, I don't, I don't even have the words. It just, it's a very deep, uh, moving experience to yeah. be a part of. That's I can imagine. I mean, I, I, I feel like there are times where I love just actually being a part of the the room and a part of someone's life and their process. And right. I feel like you take that and you just help them process some of the darkest things they've maybe never thought they could ever deal with. I, I mean, absolutely. Um, yes. Is there, is there kind of a, and I know that all mileage may vary, but is it a typically a certain number of sessions? Is it more of a brief kind of solution focused approach or is it a, can somebody dig in there for a long time or what's that like? I, I have people who have been doing, I, I know people at, at Kaiser who I work with, who are my uh-huh. colleagues and um, we have a little EMDR consult group and uh you know, one of them in particular has been doing this work far beyond my experience and she's really quick and she gets them in and gets them out. And I think part of my training is a little more lengthy. Okay. I'm going to go as fast or as slow as we need to go. Yeah. And I never guarantee a time frame. Um, Someone who's young, like a 14 year old who was raped um, it can be pretty quick if there's no other trauma. Yeah. You now I'm also working with a 78 year old who has uh-huh. done absolutely remarkable with, uh, one of the most horrific things I've ever heard. Wow. Uh, when he was a young boy. So it, uh, there's no, I just had a patient come in who is in her seventies and she said, am I too old? Oh. And I said, absolutely not. No, absolutely yeah. not. So however long it takes, as long as I'm, as long as I uh, have a job there at Kaiser, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to take whatever time we need to take. Yeah. Do you, do you find that out of the clients that you see, I mean, are you almost exclusively doing EMDR or, I mean, do you fit it? Can you fit it into almost any experience or, or does this work in other areas as well? Good old fashioned anxiety, depression, OCD, that sort of thing. Uh, it's, you can't treat it with, for OCD. Okay. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I believe that I am an EMDR therapist and I can incorporate it into every scenario. Um, but because I work, um, you know, for Kaiser Permanente, which is a wonderful organization. Mm-hmm. Um, I see a lot of different people and I have to see an, an EMDR patient I'm seeing every week. Okay. And I just can't, I just, my schedule just doesn't allow for that. Yeah. Well, and I think I'd share with you that where it really came on the radar for me as well is I've dealt with uh, compulsive sexual behavior for right. a decade. And then I go and I, and I decided, man, I need to understand what that's like for the partner and in this betrayal trauma world, I mean, we now know that those symptoms are very similar to PTSD. They are PTSD-like symptoms. So yeah. the EMDR piece, even as you're explaining it, makes me think, oh my gosh, I need to go get this training as soon as I can. You really do. Exactly, right? You yeah. really should. Yeah, I know. Um, so so any other kind of thoughts on things that it, people might need to know? I feel like you've done a great job of explaining it so that if somebody is, is thinking about um, looking for EMDR, are there certain places or... or you said there's different types of EMDR. How does, how does somebody find the, the right type for them? Well, I don't, I don't necessarily 
think that there are different types of EMDR, okay. but there's different types of training. Gotcha. And so okay. what I would tell people is uh, to work with someone who has been trained by an EMDRIA organization. Okay. Okay. So EMDRIA is, uh, uh, I think the I is, let's see, it's eye movement. It's international. EMDR. Let me see. Okay. And I'll, and I'll put it in the show. R-I-A. It's okay. E-M-D-R-I-A. Okay. It's to just to find somebody who has been trained through an organization that is. They have a certification. I don't even know the words. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But not somebody that just says, oh, no, I think I know it. I think I know what it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You don't want to do that. Yeah. Right. Okay. Because I, I have actually, now that you're talking about this, it's fascinating because I've, I've, I process with a person or two, um, an EMDR, EMDR experience that is not quite like the one that you shared. And I wonder if that person was uh, trained. Right. You know? It's so very wonder- different. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot of really brief. My, my training was really intensive and uh-huh. it was over two weekends. So it was like three yeah. days. And then we had supervision in between those months. And uh-huh. we had to work with a certain number of people and, and bring that to the group supervision along with individual supervision and then we had the second week weekend mm-hmm. several months later. And um, um, so I think there's a lot of different versions of, you know, of, of how people use it. Yeah. Uh, so I would, I would tell people who are listening or, or looking for a therapist, you've just got to find somebody who's a good fit for you. Yes. Well, now, you know, I mean, that's really the biggest thing, whether they do EMDR or not, yeah. you just have to find somebody that you connect with and, and um, that you feel like you can share some of these things with. Well, and this might be uh, this might be the, hey, I'll edit this out later part. But man, you just made me uh, kind of think of that. I don't know if you've said this one before to your clients, but the the relationship with a the therapist can, you know, is more important than the modality because the person exactly is comfortable. So right. if someone is coming in, and the, cause is the EMDR process that can, you're, you're there to process trauma. So I do wonder if that would feel at times where is the person giving the therapist even a fair enough shot, you know, because they're going in there saying, all right, I'm about to unload all this trauma. And, um, I wonder, I don't know. So do you feel like that's, do you have to do a little bit of groundwork before you really get to Oh the, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, so cause even the, I mean, cause the trauma is going to be difficult to process regardless. So, I mean, you really need to, to know, up, I almost have that relationship built with that therapist um, is even more important than to then go into this area that you're talking about. Right. Okay. Well, because sense. also the, as the therapist, I need to know that your coping skills aren't going to be drugs and alcohol Ooh, because, okay. you know, people I'm, I'm in Denver. So uh-huh. um, as you know, marijuana is legal here. Yeah. And People who are smoking daily, um, some people, you know, that's EMDR. I will not do EMDR with anybody who's who's smoking daily. Okay. Um, people who are drinking in ex- to excess, uh, it it does something in the brain where we won't get any progress. Gotcha. So when we talk about that scale, the suds, it's never gonna, it's not gonna move. We're never right. gonna really get there because that THC is is in that receptor and it uh-huh. just clogs everything up. Things don't flow and move and it's harder to difficult or it's, it's, you can't reprocess those traumas. So no, that makes there's sense. a lot of upfront work that needs to be done. Yeah. They All could right. just uh, take a session or two. 
Yeah. Any other, any other things you want to share, Laura? Do you feel like we kind of, we did, this was beautiful. It really is. I mean, I, I don't know if I've ever quite felt like I will, um, after we hang up, I will start Googling, uh, how I get the training. Um, I mean, this is pretty amazing. Anything else that you feel like we, we didn't touch on? Gosh, there's just so much. I don't even know. I just really appreciate the opportunity. It was, oh, it's great to see you. You are on the hook, Laura. Now you will be back. Um, you will be a regular on the virtual couch. Thank you so much. Flying past Our heads and out the other end The pressures of the daily grind It's one